Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Good morning, family. Good morning. Sorry to interrupt the best time, one of the best times of the morning. My name is Mark, and I get to read some of the scripture this morning before um, the, the teaching moment. Back to Advent and coming and anticipation and what's happening. At this part of the story, the Jews have been waiting for 400, uh, several hundred years and they're waiting for something to change. World superpowers are changing. It's not Babylon, it's not the Assyrians anymore. Now it's the Greeks and the Romans. They've kind of like become these world empire powers. And this little, small, ragtag, nomadic group of people who've clung to their faith and their beliefs about who God is and who they are because of who their God has called them to be are maintaining hope that someone is going to come and change the way that the world works. Someone is going to come and change weapons and make them uh, tools for agriculture, things that create life. Someone is going to come and return the hearts of the fathers and these people who are supposed to care for us back to the children who are still looking to be loved and still looking for love and belonging. And this is kind of where we find ourselves. This is the new story, the New Testament, the new covenant begins right here in Luke, this is Luke's kind of retelling of it. This is Luke chapter 1. We'll start at verse 5. Luke 1. It says, During the rule of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest assigned service in the regiment of Abijah. His name was Zechariah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And together they lived honorably before God careful to keep the ways of the commandments and enjoying a clear conscience before God. But they were childless because Elizabeth could never conceive and now they were old. It just so happened that as Zechariah was carrying out his priestly duties before God, working the shift assigned to his regiment, it came his one turn in life to enter the sanctuary of God and to burn incense. The congregation was gathered and praying outside of the temple at the hour of the incense offering. Unannounced, an angel of God appeared just to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was paralyzed in fear. The angel reassured him, don't fear, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear you a son. You are to name him John. You're going to keep leap like a gazelle for joy. And not only you, many will delight in his birth. He'll achieve great stature with God. He'll drink neither wine nor beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. He'll turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. He will herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah, soften the hearts of parents to children. He'll kindle devout understanding among hardened skeptics. 
He'll get the people ready for God. Zechariah said to the angel, Do you really expect me to believe this? I'm an old man, and my wife is an old woman. The angel said, Zechariah, I am Gabriel, the sentinel of God, sent especially to bring you this glad news. But because you won't believe me, you'll be unable to say a word until the day of your son's birth. Every word I've spoken to you will come true on time, in God's time. Meanwhile, the congregation was waiting for Zechariah, getting restless, wondering what was keeping him so long in the sanctuary. And when he came out and couldn't speak, they knew he'd seen a vision. He continued speechless and had to use sign language with the people. When the course of his priestly assignment was completed, he went back home. It wasn't long before his wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and she went off by herself for five months, relishing her pregnancy. So, this is how God acts to remedy my unfortunate condition, she said. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. When you have somebody who can read like Mark, you invite them up to read, obviously. Uh, for only $123 an hour, you can pay him to read your text messages as well. Uh, it's just a good going rate. Uh, but for real, Mark just has a passion for Scripture and inviting people into Scripture and their experiences with it. Follow him at the Kinship Collective on Instagram. Throwing that out there. Just a little plug. I'm here to hype all of your businesses and adventures, by the way, people. Uh, as we start Advent with one another, a word that's powerful for me to think about is simply vulnerability. That the big idea I have for us today is this idea that real connection requires vulnerability. That if you want real relationship or real connection, you're going to have to be vulnerable. There's no other way around it. And then the horrible thing about that is these are the definitions of what vulnerable is. They're not fun, by the way. Openness or susceptibility to attack or harm. Yeah, that's awful. Willingness to show emotion, to allow one's weakness to be seen or known. Willingness to risk being emotionally hurt. It's just the definition of what vulnerability is. The vulnerability in many ways just simply requires us to expose ourselves to another human being. And that in an effort to exposing ourselves to another human being, it may in fact hurt us. So we've talked about this idea in here before that there are two great paths as human beings. That there is love and that there is suffering. And that they go together. And that the longer you're on those paths, you realize it was always just one path. It was the path of love. But to love, you will endure suffering. When you love something well, you are opening up yourself to the reality that that thing, that that relationship, that that connection may in fact hurt you. And not in fact might, that it will. Because you love the thing so well. And as you hurt, as you suffer, as you open yourself to that thing or that relationship, you will learn to love it even more. Because you're willing to risk with it. And so as we think about Advent, as we prepare ourselves for Christmas, vulnerability is a tool that we practice with one another. I want to begin with this idea, simply this. Vulnerability is wild. 
You are all here because of vulnerability. You are mammals and you are homo sapiens, which means that you got here because you were in a womb during gestation. There was already vulnerability for you just to enter into the world. There was a placenta. There was an umbilical cord. There is somebody who sacrificed to carry you to the detriment of their own body so that you would survive. Because you are a homo sapien, you just didn't pop out and know how to do some SATs, people. You popped out and did nothing for years. I love new parents. And they come and like, oh my gosh, my baby's so easy. Yeah, because your baby's three months old. Then your kid's going to be hard. You're going to be sleepless. You know what your baby does right now when they're like super young and born? They eat. They poop. They sleep. They're cute. Repeat. But then you meet a parent who's got like a nine-month-old, and I see that look in your eyes. That's a look of pain. That's a look of suffering. That's a look of what do we get ourselves into, and if for the next 30 years, I might not sleep again. That's okay. That's what you signed up for. That's what we all signed up for in just procreation and having more human beings on this planet. That vulnerability is baked into the fact that you are here today. That somebody else risked hurt, that they risked harm so that you could be here as a human being. That the story of Jesus is a story of vulnerability. It's a story of God saying, I know how it works to be a human. I'm not coming magically from the clouds on a Pegasus with thunder and lightning in my hand. I'm going to be born to a teenage girl in a womb through the same gestational process with a placenta and an umbilical cord. And some people are going to be up sleepless nights and they are going to wipe your butt when you are in need. That God chose to enter vulnerably into the world in the same ways that we have vulnerably entered into it. That the story of God and vulnerability is something that we all share together. And that vulnerability is a requirement for real connection. And so to talk about vulnerability, we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about Michelle Obama because she just posted something incredible. And we're going to talk about, you just kind of know where you're at in the country when you say names like this, right? You know, if I was in like the deep south, people are like, oh, what's he doing? Right. But we're not, praise God. All right, so... If we can talk about Michelle Obama, then we can talk about that God can handle it. And if we can talk about that God can handle it, the World Cup, anybody out there? Yes. I love that earlier, like, any Broadway fans, everybody went wild, right? Any sports ball fans? Seven of us. I love it. I love it. Know your audience. And if we can talk about that, then we can talk about how Jesus models it. And if we can understand how Jesus models it, then we can talk about how we need vulnerability. And if we can talk about that, then we're going to need some boundaries. We're going to have to take some risks. We're going to need to communicate. And then beans. One of my best friends in the entire world. So, yeah, you're famous. Michelle Obama posted this picture, and she posted this post, and for me, it was just gorgeous. As an adult, I've lived in a number of places, but as far as I'm concerned, I've only ever had one real home, and my home is my family. My home is Barack. But here's the thing. Our marriage has never been perfectly 50-50. One of us is always needing more or giving more. We have to be willing to listen to each other honestly and without defensiveness. Only then can we evolve together. Over the years, a lot of young people have asked me about marriage, and my response usually goes something like this. You have to prepare yourself for long stretches of discord and discomfort. You have to learn how to make real compromises in the way that you've lived as an individual. Glamorizing a relationship while you're dating will lead you straight to difficulty once you're married. You can't paper over problems when you're living with someone day in and day out. So you've got to ask yourself, what are you trying to get out of this relationship? Have you truly thought it through? Do you want a wedding, or do you want a lifelong partnership? These are two very different things. Together, you are answering the question, 
who are we and who do we want to be? And honestly, we could just end right there. Yeah, that's just like so, that's just so good. What Michelle Obama is talking about is this deep reality that you need to be vulnerable in order to have deep and meaningful relationships. That, of course, you never bring just 50-50, and of course, the scales are never balanced in any relationship. I had a mentor who used to say it to me like this. It's not 50-50. It's actually 100-100. And you're just bringing in the 100 that you have that day. And the vessel that you have to carry that 100%, it changes all of the time. It's never equal. There's always going to be a partner in any type of relationship, whether it's intimate or a friendship, in which they just have to give more. That's the gift of it. And when they give more, it's going to cost you something, and it's going to cost them something. And there's going to give a time because of what they've given now that you have the ability to give more. And that it's not about the scales being balanced. Balance is one of those words that we throw out there and we talk about it as if it's some version of health. I've never seen anything balanced in the world. Things are always off kilter and off balance and that's how we grow and that's how we evolve. And we're giving all of who we are and all of what we can in that moment and there are moments in which we don't have much to give. And that is okay. And there are moments in which we have so much to give. And hopefully we've had real connection that has required vulnerability in which we have people around us that we want to be able to give it to and to support them. That in the story of vulnerability, the beauty of it is that God models it for us. That God is uh, not afraid of being vulnerable. That God can handle it. We spent a year in the Torah. Some of you are like, we did? I know, welcome. It's been incredible. And the Torah is this two big concepts that are in it. One is what is God's part and what is our part? That maturity in the story of faith is not some version of faith where God just keeps doing all of the work and you have nothing to do. Maturity is a story where God comes in and understands when we're vulnerable, when we have nothing to give, and this God shows up, saves us, rescues us, liberates us, frees us in moments in which we cannot help ourselves. That is the story of Exodus, that a God comes in and meets us in our places of our darkest needs. It's not just a story that is somehow literally something that happened thousands of years ago. It's a story for humanity to remind us of the fact that there are times that we will be vulnerable and that God will indeed stand there for us. It is also a story that we have our part, that God is being vulnerable with us in saying, I know that I am God. I know that I am the infinite one. I know that I am the one that breathed all of the universe into existence. That I witnessed a million sunsets on a billion planets all at the same time. That I can hold all of your complexities. And even at that, that I am the holy one. I still want to partner with you. I'm willing to be hurt by you. I'm willing to take a risk by you. I'm willing for you to fail and make mistakes. Many of us were given a bad version of theology. The version of theology that you were given is that God somehow cannot handle our mistakes. God is mad at those mistakes and that somehow God is a tyrant and looks more like Jeffrey Dahmer than God. Because this God is sadistic and this God needs you to have everything worked out because this God is holy. Holy does not mean perfect. Holy just simply means other. This God has the ability to see us for who we are and who we are first and foremost is good. And God knows that just like a child, it just takes time for us to grow up. And that is okay. The stories of Genesis are not stories about depravity and that all of us are these wretched sinners that God must deal with. No, these are stories simply of maturity. 
and that it will take time for us to figure out life. And in the meantime, there will be a God there who will hold our hand. And then there are times when we cannot do it on our own and this God will rescue us. That's the story of Exodus. And then the next three books in the Torah where a story of God says, now I've rescued you. Now you've grown up. And guess what? You're going to cross the street by yourself and I'm not going to hold your hand anymore. Because that's beautiful. What sick parent wants to walk their 32-year-old across the street? Nobody. You're like, go, please, get out of the basement. It's what we want as human beings, and that's what God wants of us. And that doesn't mean that you don't have a good parent there who's not like, ah, you're in rough times, and I will always have a room for you to move into. But there's a God who values our autonomy and our growing up, and some of us need a larger version of that story, that God is not angry at us, that God can handle our vulnerabilities, and God is choosing to be vulnerable with us. And then the beauty of the story is that Jesus constantly models vulnerability for us, that the beginning of the Jesus story is ultimate vulnerability. As we already talked about, that is a story of a teenage girl who is vulnerable in her culture and society. It is a story of a guy named Joseph who is being told that his teenage girlfriend was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Talk about an awkward conversation. And in that society, he somehow has to live into that because an angel of God came to him, ayahuasca moment or something that's going on there. And he has to somehow live into this reality when, of course, everyone else is going to be judging him. This is not a clean story. This is a messy story. This is a story of a birth. If any of you have ever been around a birth, it is not sanitary. It is not clean. It is a wild experience. And God is saying that Jesus is entering into the world through that same vulnerability. And that Jesus just doesn't offer that vulnerability to us at the beginning of Jesus' life. That all of Jesus' life is modeling vulnerability for us. That Jesus is choosing to be vulnerable and that Jesus is constantly meeting people in their vulnerable states. Because Jesus is showing us that in order to have real connection, it requires vulnerability. And so Jesus, the one who has all of the power in the world, one of my favorite passages is at the end of Jesus' life. And you remember the story where they're coming to take Jesus and Peter pulls out the sword. And in one of the Gospels it says this, Jesus says, put the sword away. If I wanted to, I could call down 10,000 angels right now. That's vulnerability. Jesus is saying, if I wanted to do this a different way, I would do it a different way. But I'm choosing to suffer with you. Because I want to model for you a way of vulnerability that there will be moments that just like me, you will feel God forsaken. That you will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That you will cry out, God, where are you? And I'm going to show you that reality. That when you are hurt, you do not have to transmit your pain, that you can transform it. And that when you transform your pain, then we will heal the world together. That from beginning to end, Jesus models vulnerability for us, constantly making himself available to the plight and the pain and the hurt and the suffering of the world, as well as its beauty and joy and celebration and weddings and parties and more wine, my friends. And then Jesus models for us constantly showing up to people when they're caught in the middle of their vulnerability. And that when they're caught in the middle of vulnerability, Jesus doesn't shame them. Jesus welcomes it, knowing that, man, this is a moment that you never saw yourself being here. How many of you have been there? But you're here. And it's here, that place that you never imagined is where you're learning everything. It's here when you thought, man, I can't believe they did that to me. I can't believe I took that risk. I can't believe I've been making those choices. I could never tell anybody. No one could ever handle or hold this. But there was a man with 10,000 demons 
isolated, chained, far away from everyone else. Imagine the shame and the guilt and the no one will understand me and Jesus showing up and saying, you're free. I'm going to stand with you in your most vulnerable moment. A woman caught in adultery. Caught in the act of adultery. Visualize that for a moment. And in a culture where women were not given the same rights as men, what does Jesus do? Supports a woman in a vulnerable place. It's not a moment of shame. It's not a moment of disgust. It's not a moment of anything. It's just a moment of him placing himself to the person who is vulnerable in between the crowd who wanted to hurt her and letting everyone else know, where have you been without sin? And if you find yourself there, feel free to cast that stone. And nobody did. That Jesus models vulnerability over and over and over for us because Jesus is modeling for us that in order to have real connection, it will require vulnerability from us. And so if we can know and understand that from the very story that we've been given about God, that God can handle our vulnerability, if we can understand that Jesus is going to constantly model vulnerability for us, then it will eventually require this reality for us that we need vulnerability. First, I think that we need vulnerability with God. The vulnerability with God for many people in a room like this is difficult, not because God is difficult, because the version of God that you've been given is difficult. I would not want vulnerability with that monster either. Because that version of God was dangerous. That version of God is not helpful. That version of God is punitive. That version of God is constantly angry. That version of God leaves you confused and makes you ask the question over and over and over, am I doing this right? I got really high there. That was incredible. <laughs> None of you would accept a parent like that. None of you would ever choose a partner like that. So why did for hundreds of years in American theology we accept a God like that? We shouldn't. And maybe vulnerability with God is you just simply saying in a day like this, I'm not interested in that God. Hey, I'm with you. And that's not the gospel that we're talking about. There's much older and deeper traditions of faith and much of what we were given in American Protestantism and Catholicism and Evangelicalism. There's deeper wisdom traditions that are there that teach us much more beautiful versions of who Jesus is and what God has for us. And we can lean into those traditions. That what we're doing now is we talk about deconstruction and all the things. None of this is new, people. That people of faith have been asking these questions for thousands and thousands of years and always looking to encounter and experience a more beautiful version of God and a God that actually works for your life. As Richard Rohr says, and as I say in here a thousand times, and I'll say it a thousand more, that Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about you. That Jesus came to change your mind about God. And Christmas and Advent are the reminders of that. You don't have a punitive God. You have a God who has constantly chosen vulnerability with you. And a God who allows you to be vulnerable as well. A God who can handle your complexities and your mistakes and your figuring it out and your beauty and your joy and all of your wonder. A God who's not sitting around, right, and being like, oh my gosh, you did that? I never saw that coming. A God who's like, ah, you're just growing, my child. And I see you and all that I have has always been yours. That's a version of a God that we want and a version of God that's interesting. And so maybe on a Sunday like this, what you're asking yourself is, can I be vulnerable with God in a different way? That I'm going to let go of that version of God and I'm going to open myself to be vulnerable to a God that I know is bigger and more beautiful and wondrous and can hold all of my complexities. And then if I can do that, then can I realize that I also have a need for vulnerability with other people? And vulnerability with other people is hard. And it is scary, and it will involve some risk-taking. 
The vulnerability with other people is something, honestly, as an Enneagram 3, that I struggle with. I've shared the story in here before about a therapy session that I had like five years ago where I'm sitting there telling all of these things to my therapist, and he's talking to me about vulnerability. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm great at vulnerability. He says, no, you're not. You're great at self-disclosure, and they're not the same thing. Well, go fuck yourself. I'm paying your mortgage here, not so you say that shit to my face. Rude and ridiculous. But unfortunately true. That is an Enneagram 3, as somebody who has a platform, I'm great at self-disclosure. I'm great at telling you the exact story that I want to tell you. I'm great at inviting you into very particular parts of my life. And there are a lot of other pastors out there who have these platforms who can be loud and charismatic and know the Bible and do those things, and they do the same thing. But one of the things that we're seeing across the Christian landscape right now is that pastors who haven't had the ability to be vulnerable. And it's a two-way street. I've been vulnerable. There are people that I've invited in only to be punched in the face. There are people that I've invited in because I'm like, ah, I learned the mistake of I'm going to be vulnerable with everybody. Shouldn't have done it. Because not everyone's ready for that kind of vulnerability. And so it's scary sometimes. It's scary to invite people in only to be hurt. And then it's more terrifying not to let anybody in and to feel like you're going to close up. And you have to learn the balance. And so three practical tools that I think about for vulnerability and things that I'm working on and things that are a very appropriate part of my life right now is first, boundaries. You need to be vulnerable with other people and you should make very clear boundaries before you do that. Some of you are vulnerable on the internet and you're like, why do they comment in my comment section? I would say those aren't great boundaries, but you do you. That if you put it out there, people are going to have opinions. We just got to know that. The bigger the platform of vulnerability or self-disclosure, the more opportunity that people may not agree with us. It's simple as that. It's not, it's not an attack or a judgment. That's just probably a reality. That think about those people in your life who are safe. Think about those people in your life that their name is safe with you and your name is safe with them. That you know that they have your back whether you're in the room or not. And when you can name those people and list those people out, set that boundary within yourself. And if you can set that boundary of knowing who those people are because you've named them, then would you take a risk? Would you say, I'm going to invite them into some things that I've never shared with other people. Or I'm just going to invite them into life. And life at times is difficult. Life at times is not perfect. Life at times is something that I don't have all figured out. And risk is scary. I can't tell you how many times I've risked and how many times I've been hurt. And I can't tell you how many times I've risked and how worth it has been every step of the way. It has taught me so much more about being a human being. If we think that relationship is all about not getting hurt, we're going to miss the beauty and joy of relationship. Instead, we open ourselves up by creating clear boundaries and taking some risks with appropriate people in our lives. I was talking with somebody about this as we were just sitting outside here, and they were talking about just the gift of not having to have Thanksgiving with their family, which is a real thing for some people. Some of you are like, it was the most beautiful. Nana's here, by the way, front row. It's like a gift to be with Nana. Yeah, let's do that. And others, you are like, my God, if my aunt is there, I will lose my mind. And I remember a mentor who once said to me, I don't want to hang out with my own family on a Tuesday. Why do I want to give them the best days of the year? you got to know the boundary for yourself. You don't have to put yourself in that situation on the best days of the year unless you got Nana. Put yourself in that situation on the best day of the year. 
We all find ourselves in different places, and there's no rule book for your life, but the point is be thoughtful about it. Keep doing the work about it, and know that you're going to need different people in your life for different seasons and for different things to be vulnerable with. For me, I've been a sex addict my entire life, and I've learned a process through 12 steps. One of the things that is so powerful about 12 steps is rigorous honesty. As somebody who's been a pastor in the area for over 15 years, I found that it was difficult for me to go into 12-step rooms and to live with anonymity. And so I found a group of guys who I still don't know their names. I mean, I know their names, but I've still never seen them. I'm sure I could Google their phone numbers, but that's not the point of it. And there's four of us who for seven years, we just make a phone call with one another every month. Because for me, there's a boundary there, and that rigorous honesty is important for anonymity so that I can grow and feel safe. Do I need to have that conversation or those conversations with every single person in my life? No, because not every person is trustworthy to hold that information. Some people will take your most vulnerable moments and the safety and healing that you create, and they will throw it in your face. So be careful and risk, because it's worth it. And if you can create some boundaries, and if you can risk, then be clear in your communication. Communication is everything. And when you are clear in your communication, know this, that it's a practice that will ever be changing. There is something that you want and need now, and next month or next year, it might be different. And what you're practicing is not stating the Ten Commandments. What you're practicing is telling somebody a truth and knowing that you'll be safe enough with them and vulnerable enough with them and that they'll be vulnerable enough with you that when you inevitably change, grow, or evolve, that they'll be able to walk with you. Because you will grow, and hopefully you don't grow apart. And so practice boundaries, practice risk-taking, and practice communication that will allow for your thriving. One of my greatest friendships in life is Beans. Uh, we met each other because of a Facebook algorithm, praise God. Uh, we went to the same college with one another, had a bunch of mutual friends, but we actually just never knew each other. Uh, she was leaving uh, her, her megachurch thing because that version of God that she was given at that moment was, I'm either going to choose my soon-to-be wife and the person I love, or I have to choose to be a pastor. And many people were given that choice a lot of different times. It's not a fair choice to have ever given anybody. And so at that time in the world, she made a Facebook post about it. It was just one of those days that the algorithm hit me, and I'm somehow we were already Facebook friends. That was a real miracle from God. And I reached out to her because I remember leaving a larger church for other reasons, but I just remember how lonely it was. I remember pastoring and caring for thousands of people and thinking in this moment of change and transition and growth, there's going to be hundreds of people there for me. And there was very few. It was painful as a pastor to have given so much and to realize how people just kind of want to keep going with the brand. And I remember reaching out to her and I simply just said that, hey, I, I saw your post. I know it's difficult to leave the thing. If you ever just want a coffee, great. You know, here, here to have one and process life with you. And she later told me, she was like, well, I don't have any friends right now, so this sounds great. Let's have a coffee. <laughs> and we just kind of kept having coffee since. And she's my work wife, which is a real gift. But she's somebody who I can practice vulnerability with. She's somebody who we have clear boundaries with. She's somebody who constantly risk-take mutually with one another. She's somebody who we communicate and change our communication and, and, and patterns. And something that I've just valued and gained from Beans in my friendship is in moments where vulnerability has cost me in other relationships, she's constantly been somebody who advocates for me. That sometimes as the leader or the pastor, you have to sit there and put your best face on while everyone else puts a tantrum and you have to be like, no, I'm okay. And she's told me many a times, it's okay to be angry right now. It's okay to be hurt right now. It's okay to be frustrated right now. That's the vulnerability that you want. Not just people who will weep with you, but people who also rage with you. People who will stand for you. People who just listen to you. 
There's a lot of things that I've told her over time. She's like, I don't want to say that like on stage. <laughs> People can be a sounding board for you. Because none of us are perfect. We're figuring this thing out together. But what I do know is that if we're going to have real connection with one another, and if we're going to continue to have real connection with the beautiful God, he's got incredible good news that will revolutionize and change the world. We have to be vulnerable with God as well. So let's set some boundaries together, New Abbey. Let's risk together in new ways. Let's be really, really good at our communication. And we're going to make some mistakes along the way, but we're going to figure it out. But God came into the world vulnerably, and we're still here, vulnerable, and we're figuring it out with one another. If you go find the same three or four people and answer this question, how can you practice vulnerability? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.